you've just thrown all this money yes. at this marketing campaign and got zero results from it. But it was because somebody said, oh, you should try TikTok or you need to do Instagram reels or whatever it was, right? So when you've got a brand, especially a personal brand, you just instinctively know what's right to do. Yeah, I like to say that, you know, we, we grew up hearing the customer is always right. And the fact is, I don't think the customer is always right. If they were always right, they wouldn't need our help at all. Mm. But I think they do know right when they see it for them, mm. for their brand. Martians landed, yes. wearing Prada suits, yes. drinking Henry's seltzer, yes. chewing juicy fruit. Yes, and your branding here. Yes, brand. Your message here. Yes, and a verse about. Yes, your product here. Yes, I'm Hirsch Redman. Yes, and I'm a message therapist. Yes, and I have a podcast. Yes, brand. That's right. That's it. Yes, we'll help you fix the world. Yes, or your bottom line. All right. Your bottom line. Get it. I get it. Welcome, Welcome to, to the Yes Brand, Brand Podcast. In the Yes Brand hot seat today is Lauren Clement. Lauren is known as the Brand Navigator. She's an award-winning neurobranding expert. As a child, she was told she had word blindness and wasn't going to be able to write properly. And we're going to get into how she became a five-time best-selling author and uses her dyslexia as a kind of a greatest asset in a lot of ways. Lauren, welcome to Yes Brand. Thank you so much, Ash. It's awesome to be here. Oh, it's great to have you. Also, I should say your brand is your brand True North, the navigation that people use to find True North for their brands, which I love. So what is True North for a brand? That's a great question. And as you can tell from my accent, it's not something to do with travel, really, although I do come from New Zealand. Um, right. I grew up living in the bush in New Zealand, and we were never, ever lost when we were children. We were only ever temporarily misplaced. We, so we had uh -huh. lots of great bushcraft, but we did have tools that we used to help us in the bush in New Zealand. And the bush in New Zealand is quite interesting. It's unlike um, bush around the world because it's very, very dense. It's a little bit like... Um, the tropical, you know, imagine the, the, the trees and things in Vietnam or some, but less pine tree, uh, less palm trees, you know. So very dense bush. There's very little in there that can harm you. In New Zealand, there are no poisonous snakes. There are no really poisonous spiders in the bush like there are where I live now in Australia, where everything in the bush can kill you. But you do have the issue in New Zealand where if you wander just slightly off the path, you can become really overwhelmed and, and disorientated as to where you are very, very quickly, even though you're only metres from the path, you know. So in the bush in New Zealand, we had a lot of fun, chased a lot of pigs, um, built a lot of little huts and stayed up there in the, in the night time and just an absolute blast as children in the bush. But we did have the tools to help us. So we had um, very old-fashioned tools. We had maps and compasses. And I don't know if Hirsch, you or any of your other listeners have done orienteering before. I used to like the no, map and I compass. No, haven't. I used to like the map and compass part. I hated the running bit, but the, the map and compass bit was interesting. And what we discovered very quickly is if you have a map and a compass and you put those two things together, very, very quickly you can figure out exactly where you are and what direction you should go to get yourself back on track. And it's very much the same in business, that if you don't have the right tools and you don't have the right knowledge of where your brand should be, and the messaging 
and the audiences and exactly what your brand should live and the language it should use and so on, you can get really, really easily you know, lost in that overwhelm of social media channels and content creation and you know, paid marketing and organic marketing. There's so much at the moment. In fact, Hersh, I think in the 1970s, our brains were being exposed to about 500 branded messages a day. That was back when I was born in the late 1960s, early 70s. And today, our brains are being hit with closer to 5,000 messages a day from brands. <laughs> so it's just this massive overwhelm. Yeah, there's loads more channels than there used to be. And there's so much more content being produced. And it's really quite difficult and very overwhelming. And a lot of business owners can just get off track so easily. So Brand True North really is all about understanding what your brand stands for, who you want to be in the marketplace as a business as well as a personal brand, and how you want to attract people naturally to your business or to your offer or your services or products so that you don't end up doing things that are just a waste of time and money. They're throwing stuff out there. Throw mm. stuff at the wall and see what sticks is like a is supposed to be a strategy. But everybody knows that is not mm. a good strategy. And people are also learning that um, what may appear to be a huge exposure for a brand may not be exposing them to the right audience or to the people who are going to buy their product or benefit from their product. But, you know, you mentioned personal brands. How do you describe a personal brand versus a corporate brand or a company brand? Awesome. Well, I mean, the person who probably described it best, I think it was Jeff Bezos, who said, your personal brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. And I guess the misnomer that people think that a brand has got to be something that's loud and it's, you know, proud and it's, it's a Lady Gaga brand or it's a, you know, Elvis brand or it's out there. And it's not necessarily the case. What you want to do with a brand, if you think about the, the basics of branding, a brand is there to, if you go back to the, the origins of it, it was burnt into cattle. It was, you know, pushed into the clay of pots so that people could pick something up and recognize who the maker was of that product and it would add value it would give something ownership. So if that's all you're trying to do is add value to yourself, to be remembered and to be recognized, doesn't need to be an extrovert brand. It's just you get known for something. It could be that you always wear red, you've got purple hair, an amazing mustache, you've got a really cool singing voice, whatever it is, it could be something about you. You're the life and soul of the party, you're a really good listener. Could be anything that is memorable that you can leverage off of so that next time somebody is thinking, oh, I need someone for a particular task or a job, or I'd like to have some help from someone, you immediately come to mind. And as you said before, you know, that throwing everything at the wall and hoping it sticks is just like, yeah, it's a strategy, I suppose. But it leads to what I call WAFTAM. I don't know if you've heard of WAFTAM before, W-O-F-T-A-M? No. Okay, so it's probably a New Zealand thing. It stands for Waste of Flipping Time and Money. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, and, it's definitely a, it's definitely a New Zealand thing, <laughs> but I have a feeling that people over here have uh, have heard of it as well. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and that's what people end up doing. They waste a huge amount of time and money on stuff that doesn't work, and often yeah. that stings. Do you know what I mean? You've just thrown all this money yes. at this marketing campaign and got zero results from it, but it was because somebody said, "Oh, you should try TikTok, or you need to do Instagram Reels, or whatever it was." Right. So, when you've got a brand especially a personal brand, you just instinctively know what's right to do. And you can sort of, before you make those decisions to spend any, invest any time or money in things, 
you can really have that feeling of, should my brand even be doing this? And it'll help you make yeah. better decisions. Yeah, I like to say that, you know, we, we grew up hearing the customer is always right. And the fact is, I don't think the customer is always right. Mm. If they were always right, they wouldn't need our help at all. Mm. But I think they do know right when they see it for them, mm. for their brand. You mm. know? So they will know that something is off, but they can't fix it. And that's where I feel people who are branding experts, navigators, which I love, are in a position to help them. And also we have perspective that they may not have. They may be very close to it. So if, if personal branding focuses on things you can kind of do to convey your persona, your brand, like you said, you know, always wearing red or, or some distinctive quality, that is a part I gather from the from the business that you are that you are doing, and somehow you have to bring the two together, right? Because you want to be top of mind for let's just say auto repair, and your thing is that you you wear a red shirt all the time, <laughs> you know. I mean, there are you know, and of course there are mechanics who always wear, you know, work suits and, you know, the jumpsuits or whatever, but let's say like, so, so how do, where do you start? Where do you start with all of this? Cause I think these days people are the ones that are building their own brands recognize all of these gaps. They just don't know how to pull it all together. Mm, mm. And there you, is, where do you start? Yeah, you're right, Hirsch. And it's interesting the the blending of a business brand and a personal brand is actually quite powerful. And if you think about the, Vir I love explaining this with the Virgin brand because Richard Branson did it so well, right? His whole personality is infused into every part of that brand. And that's really yeah. what happens when you're a business owner. A lot of the culture of a business comes from your own personal beliefs and values, the way you behave yourself, the things you hold dear, you know, the important things in life to you personally come across and how you want to serve your customers. So that absolutely flows naturally, normally. It's just being aware of it, as you say, and knowing what your strengths are, what your personality is like, and therefore what the brand personality has become. I often get people to do a little exercise, which is, okay, if your brand was a person and it walked into the room right now and sat down next to you, what would it look like? How would it behave? How would it speak? What would it have as superpowers? You know, what would the things be that it was really, you know, really interested in? How would it deliver to somebody? What would it be really concerned about? And you take yourself out of your own personality and start thinking about your brand and your business brand as a person as well and all the traits that come with that, which is really, really useful to do. But the real starting point, if you think about it as your brand being your compass that keeps you on that true north, that stops you being diverted into those paths down to the road of Wafdam, um, is what is it that really is encompassing all of the passions and purposes that you have for your brand? So I normally start at West, and West is all about who you serve, what the problems are that you solve, why do people have them, when do they have them, and what is it that's going to really naturally engage with them? So that you're not pushing it, you're not wasting your money on stuff that doesn't work. People actually want what you have because you've tuned in to where they are at and you're walking in their shoes. So West is all about your audience and how you want to engage with them. East is very much around your expertise, the things that you do with ease that other people find difficult and what makes you the expert in that area. So if you are an auto mechanic or somebody in that field, 
why should I bring my car? Is it that you're really good with a particular brand of car? Is it that you're cheap? Very difficult way to defend that, but is that what you want to be known yeah. for? Is it that you're fast? Is it that you have a free pickup service and you drop me home after I've got my vehicle with you so that it makes it you now what is it about you that you have really good sweets on the counter I know I don't know is it good uh, the candy that you serve as <laughs> a gift whatever it is you know you get known for that thing so east's all about that south is very simple you just draw a line through that s and turn it into a dollar sign because it's all about value it's about what do you value about your services and what's the outcome that you deliver that nobody else can deliver so when the rubber hits the road between what you say your brand will do and the promises that you make and how you actually deliver. And if you want to be known for really good customer service, how do you deliver that? If you want to be known as the cheapest, how do you deliver that? If you want to be known as the best quality or the fastest, how do you deliver that so that you can stand by your promises and people just expect an outcome from you every single time? And then people will buy from you with emotion which is exactly what you want because humans right. buy with emotion and justify with fact. And then last, you move to north, and north is all about your passion and your purpose, the reason why. Why is it so important to you that customer service is done a certain way? Why is it so important to you that speed or turnaround or whatever it is? So tell your story with your brand. Was it that when you first became a mechanic, you noticed all these busy mums coming in to your shop? And they were just so frantic because the car had broken down and they needed to get the kids to school and there was a busy day ahead of them and you wanted to make their life easier. And by the way, your wife was also nagging you that you know you were too slow and this, that and the other. Whatever it was, tell the story about why you're so passionate. Um, the minute that people know why the business owner is so passionate about something, there's an instant connection. And they then start to know, like, and trust you. They'll refer people to you and all of a sudden you're, brand reputation will just grow. So that's sort of how I work at Hirsch, is around the compass, who you help and what their problem is, what your expertise is, your unique thing that you do that nobody else does, how you provide an outcome that people value and they're prepared to pay for it, and why, what's your passion and your purpose and your legacy. Love it, love it. So you've said in the past that the why isn't enough. You know, mm. that the passion, because mm. we, we have learned, you know, from Simon Sinek and from all, mm. all, all of this, all of these great insights that passion leads, right? Passion is people don't buy because of the, all of these other little, these little elements, at least not in the way that we think, you know, and everybody has their priorities, but they need that. They need to see that why they need to see that passion. But why is why not enough? to make somebody special, to make, make, a, make a brand special. Yeah, it's a, big, it's a massive part of it. And I love Simon Sinek's golden circle. That whole idea is if you've got a brand that's got some sort of passion for what it does and what it is, it's much more important than the products it creates or the services it delivers. That's yeah. just like, a, oh, by the way. And I understand that. But when you are dealing with the human brain, which is an interesting little thing inside our bodies that runs us, <laughs> Um, it is divided yes. into those two sections of, you know, fear and desire. So one part of us is the fear of missing out or the fear of not getting the thing that I want to do or not fitting in or whatever that fear is that has driven the discovery that that human wants. So they're now on the look. They're looking out for something that, to fix their problem. It could be a fear thing or it could be a desire thing. 
I really want to improve something. I want to have a better life or whatever. I need to clean a car, whatever it is. So, so you've got those two things that drive us most of the time. Now, when Simon Sinek's message came out about start with why, the interesting thing was that at the time, very, very few brands actually talked about their passion and their purpose, their core reason for being. And he used the example of Apple, which at the time was one of the brands that was doing this. And they were talking about, you know, the innovators and doing things differently. No other computer company was doing that at the time. So they stood out as different. Now, everyone tells their story. Everyone talks about their origins and so on, or they should be if they're not, because people want to know. Our brains love hearing stories. So it's really important to to get that aspect across. But once you've told your story and people now know the story behind Nike or they know the story behind Audi or whatever it is that your your brand story is. I love the story behind Bluetooth, by the way, which is a really cool one. But um, once they know that story, they sort of feel like they're connected, but it still doesn't drive that passion or that fear-centered need to buy the product from somebody. You just know them better. So you need to Mm -hmm. encompass all the other things about your brand as well. What are you really, really good at? And, you know, what's the point of buying something from you? What's the outcome going to be? You need to paint a picture in our minds of what the outcome is going to be when somebody spends money with you. Otherwise, there's no connection. You just, as you say, you're selling on benefits and, and details and, you know, you need to have more than that. Can I play a little game with you and with your audience yeah. to show you how much? Yes, okay, for cool. Sure. Awesome. So our brains don't work in words, basically. They work in pictures. And so if I give you two words to think about, and I'm just going to ask you to concentrate on those words, and then in a couple of seconds, I'm then going to ask you some questions about those words, and we'll just see what your brain does. Is that okay? Yeah. Right. Awesome. So the two words I want you to think about are bacon and eggs. Bacon and eggs. So what did you see, Hirsch? What image did you get in your brain? Well, interestingly, I didn't get an image of bacon in my in my head. I got a blank image in my head, probably because of my background in Judaism and where bacon is not eat is like one of the things that, that we don't eat ever. Yep. And it's like, and so for whatever reason, I focused on the eggs as soon as I heard the word <laughs> eggs. So my image was a plate of eggs and then there was no bacon. <laughs> there was no bacon. <laughs> I love it. How are the eggs cooked? Scrambled. Scrambled. Nice. So some people would have seen scrambled eggs like you, and certainly if they have a belief that says you can't have something, they're quite good at I, I've done this before with vegetarians, and they go, oh, I didn't have any bacon on the plate. Some yeah, people see a, Yeah, some people see a pig and a chicken. You know, some people see a cafe that they've gone out to, and there's a beautiful plate of eggs benedict, and there's the hollandaise and a coffee, and the whole works, right? But you don't see the words. You see an outcome. And I didn't tell you anything about those words. I didn't ask you to cook them. I didn't ask you to put them on a plate. I didn't right. ask you, hey, is this against your religious beliefs? Should you maybe not think about those things? I didn't ask you anything. Your brain in milliseconds painted a picture of some scrambled eggs on a plate. So that's how quickly your customers are painting a picture of the outcome in their head when you are trying to sell to them. 
or you are explaining your story or you're telling them about your brand, they're already painting a picture of what it's going to be like to either purchase your goods or services. And if you're not painting a picture with what you're telling them about how you deliver and what your expertise is and what life is going to be like for them once they've used your brand, they're going to paint their own picture. And it could be what you don't want them to see. It could be something that puts them off buying. It could be something that sets up expectations that aren't there, all sorts of things. So when you're really, really clear on what your brand delivers and you can paint those pictures in your marketing messages, it's awesome because all of a sudden you get natural attraction of the right clients, people who want what you have, because they've already seen it. They've seen the outcome they want, right? And it's far less difficult to convince them to pay for what you are trying to sell because they already want it. They've already got that desire going in their brain, that dopamine drive, because they've seen an outcome of what they're going to look like on their wedding day or whatever it is that you're selling them. Right. So, um, so yeah, use pictures. You know, think of painting pictures in people's brains, which takes the why deeper. You can then infuse that with the reason why it's so important that you do things and definitely telling your brand story. But you've got to paint those pictures first. Fantastic. And and now I have to open my mind a little bit because I feel like, oh, you know, it is odd that I that I didn't have more. I didn't go. I didn't go bigger with my eggs. <laughs> I should have. I should have really if our minds worked that fast. I should have. Yes, I should have thought of the best eggs that I've ever had. I should have thought mm-hmm. of a really lovely restaurant or an omelet station or <laughs> something like that. I went so I went so basic. I went mm. so basic and just said, hold the bacon. But tell us a little bit about early childhood, the dyslexia, and how you turned that around and why why turned it around for the purposes you do. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the fact that you went basic. It tells me a lot about your personality, actually, Hirsch, that you, you know, you just, let's do, no fluff and nonsense. Let's get to what needs to be done and get, get on with it. So there's a, a personality okay. trait there that might be very useful to know, a superpower, potentially. Okay. Um, Yeah, so I grew up in a country school. It was a tiny little school. I think there were about maybe 200 students at that school at the most. And it was a couple of little classrooms, a fabulous country school swimming pool, which wasn't a big Olympic pool. It was just a little pool that you could do laps in and stuff. And we learned how to swim in the country, which was great. And we spent most of our summers in the pool. I was telling someone the other day, we'd get into our swimsuit to do our swimming lesson sometime in the morning and wouldn't get out of it for the whole day. We'd continue our lessons in school with our towels wrapped around us before we could get back on the bus and then head back home and jump in the river. So um, I was in the water a lot as a child and learned to swim very, very early in my life, which is great. But yes, my, my teacher, my headmaster, Mr Higgins, came to my, my desk one day and knelt down next to me and said to me, you're really not getting the reading and writing part of what we're doing. I don't think you're going to learn like the other children. I think you've got word blindness. Now, a lot of people would say, well, that's a horrible thing for a teacher to tell you. And it was in the 70s. Teachers were, you know, less PC than they are these days. Um, Mm. But he obviously knew me really well, because anything you tell me I can't do, I'm damn well going to prove you wrong. That was my motivator. So for him to say, you know, you're not unable to do this, and word blindness, of course, is dyslexia. That was, yeah, my key to go, right, what do I do about this? So he actually helped me. He gave me a book of words. So I had a little notebook, and I would write down 10 words every day that he would give me, and I would go home, and I would look at those words and try and remind myself what they looked like. 
And my way of doing it was to remember the shape of the word so that when I closed my eyes, I could remember the order of the letters so that I could see the shape of the word in my brain. So really interesting way of doing it. But so I would do that and I would get somebody else then to read out the 10 words and I would spell them back and see if I could get them right and so on. And eventually that's how I taught myself how to spell. I still have dyslexia. I'm very, very grateful today for the likes of Grammarly and all these amazing tools that we have to correct my spelling. But he really helped me enjoy the idea of getting into books as well. And he found books that I really loved and stories that I loved. I think The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe was one of the first books I really fell into and thought, wow, this is another land. You know, Narnia is amazing. And I started to read a lot more books. So, But by the end of two years at that school, my last two years, he wrote a report and I've still got it. And it says on the report, if we had a class full of Laurens, there's no limit as to what we could achieve because of what I'd done with my reading. So that's really, it still gives me goosebumps today. So what a great teacher, eh? Amazing how these teachers yeah. in life affect you so, so long term. So yeah, when it came to writing books, I knew I, I wanted to write a book at some stage. I wasn't sure what it was going to be about. And as a young woman, I had a lot of health issues with endometriosis. A lot of women have that. And so I managed to fix that with nutrition uh, and cutting a few things out of my diet and a bit of yoga and so on. So I thought I'd better write a book about that because I know there's a lot of women who suffer from it. So I started writing books about a health journey and how I had fixed it. But I didn't want to be the endometriosis lady. I didn't want to own that space. Right. So I created a pen name. So Lisa J. Faith was born and she still has books. They're still out there. If you wanted a book about endometriosis, if you know someone, it might help them. It's there on Amazon as an ebook, and you can go and download it. The endometriosis treatment your doctor will never tell you about is all online. So Lisa J. Faith, Faith created a few of these books to help people with their health issues. And it got me into the flow of writing and the purpose of writing and or knowing that every single time you write a book, it has to have a reason for being. It can't just be, oh, I want to tell my story. So you have to have a purpose for it. So that's what the purpose for those books was. And then I thought, right, well, I'm a personal branding specialist. I probably need a book to talk about this. So I wrote four books and combined them into one in the end. So there were sort of a series that came out, Know Me, Like Me, Trust Me, And they became Selling You, which is the book that I started as a bestseller with personal branding. And that got out there and it's been an amazing tool for a lot of people to do with their, how do I get my personal brand? How do I figure that out? How do I, you know, promote myself, especially as a professional service provider? I'm not selling a thing. I'm selling something that's invisible. So Selling You was the reason for that book. And then my latest book that's just come out in the middle of last year is Finding Your Brand True North. And it really is that process of going through the compass, but also it includes some amazing brand stories. So the origin stories of the the story behind Nike and the story behind Audi and the story behind Bluetooth and all these amazing brands and how they came about. And also some stories of the boutique brands that I've worked with as well, Hirsch, because there's some amazing stories that come from people's lives and why they did certain things. And when someone settles on their brand, when they know what it is that their brand stands for, it's just like this really amazing journey that they end up going on because they now know the direction they're going and things start to happen. You know, they get amazing opportunities. They pick up incredible clients because they've settled and they said, right, this is my niche. This is where I want to be positioned in people's hearts and minds. 
And now they're starting to really attract the rights of the clients and the opportunities to their business, which is so cool. So there's lots of those stories in it as well. I like to give the guest the last word. And you have shared a lot of really good insights. So I don't want to put pressure on you because there are so many good little nuggets in this conversation. But if you could leave a message to an audience of people who are who are really trying to get their brand to break through. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to leave you with the story of one of the biggest brands on the planet. And it all started with Jim, the pizza delivery guy. So Jim slams open the back door of the pizza restaurant on his way through to the kitchen because he's in a hurry. He needs to get the next pizzas out of the oven and onto his bike so he can deliver them. And Jim realizes very quickly he's walked in on one hell of a row. And in the middle of the kitchen, there is Dom Nick, the owner of the restaurant and the one down the road, gesticulating wildly and having a mad conversation and an argument with two guys who are standing very defensively, one with their arms very hardly crossed, looking like he doesn't want to be there. And Jim sidles around the back of the pizza ovens and he overhears the conversation. And it seems what's happening is Dom is selling his restaurants. He's selling it to these two guys and he's selling the one down the road as well. And Jim starts to worry because what happens to his job? What are these guys going to do with the restaurant? So he listens in. And the argument he discovers is over the name of the business. And Dom's really upset. Like they're taking this business away from him that he's built up. He knows he can't run it anymore, but they want to use his name. They want to keep the name of the business. And it's the only thing he's got left that he wants to take with him. And he's absolutely determined that they can't have the name. They have to change the name of the business. So as Jim collects the pizzas, puts them in his bag and heads off back out the, out the back door, he pulls all the courage he has in the world together. And he stands there and he says to these people, why don't you just call it Domino's? So the name of the biggest pizza franchise in the world, the brand, was created by the pizza delivery boy. So the next time you think, I'm not good enough, I'm not creative enough, I can't do this, my brand isn't important enough, I'm not important enough, all those things that I call the itty-bitty shitty committee hoosh that goes on in people's brains, you know, that imposter syndrome. As a leader of business, if you really want to stand out with a brand that people love, and they love the story and they love the fact that you live up to your promises and you deliver an outcome. You just have to tell those voices in your head to like take a hike um, and watch you do it because I believe entrepreneurs especially have incredible superpowers and talents that the world needs and they deserve it. They deserve to be well-known, well-paid and wanted. It's just a question of getting out of your own way and getting back on track and making it happen so you can do it. If you liked the show, yes, and it worked for you, yes, then subscribe and leave a yes, five-star review, yes, tell all your friends, yes, get your branding here, yes, get your branding here, yes, did I make it clear, yes, get your branding on, yes.